Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about new home sales and whether builders are losing their advantage in this market. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. It is wonderful to be doing this, even though I'm pretty sure uh, in my time zone, it's 12.53 a.m. because um, we're both traveling or you're traveling tomorrow. And uh, Listen, if I have to get up at one o'clock in the morning for CNBC at two o'clock, you, you got to be able to do a podcast in the middle of the night. Absolutely. Listen, nothing stops us from doing our podcast. And we have a lot to talk about today. Um, you wrote a story for us about the home builders and, and what um, kind of new home sales we're seeing, what kind of new home inventory we have. So let's dive in there. When I went on CNBC to talk about the new home sales report, um, you know, the headline was a miss of estimates. You know, the the housing starts data was a big mess uh, uh, from estimates. And the, you know, home builders confidence has been falling for basically three months now. So I think the question is, is the builders run over in terms of, you know, advantage, disadvantage? They have this unbelievable advantage in this marketplace because total active inventory, their main competitor doesn't have a lot of homes out there and mortgage rates for them is so much higher than what the builders can, uh, can offer. So they've been able to move product as I call it, efficient sellers. That's what they are. And the process of, you know, getting a home, uh, you know, having, having not having it start yet and then getting it under construction and then getting it to that last stage where it's units uh, completed for sale. And it's only 76,000 homes. And, you know, I, I always say that, you know, I think a, a lot of people, especially the last two years, one of the things that I've noticed is a lot of people kept on saying like there's millions of homes coming onto the market. That people like drive around the country and they see empty lots and it's not being counted, the shadow inventory. And um, in this regard, you know the the builders' entire business model is not to flood homes. And one of the things I've tried to emphasize is that even during the housing bubble years, the crash years, the total active listings never even got to two hundred thousand. So this is not the area to get like a lot of unoccupied supply. It is bigger now than normal just because the total inventory levels in the country is near all-time lows, but this is not it. But I think the question is, is 2024 going to be the year for the existing home sales market versus the new home sales market? And one of the things last year that happened, I always said that you know, you know, home sales are really low right now currently. Um, it's not like the builders are working from 1.4 million new home sales that needed a credit expansion. Uh, to keep it going, you know they're 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 already at 1996 levels, so they have the profit margin capacity to cut prices and lower rates just to move product. But you know their sales have been growing, right? Double digits easily year over year, especially in the last few months of this year. It's going to be uh, uh, very noticeable because uh, last year at, at this time home home sales were crashing. But going out in the future. If rates do fall, the existing home sales market, because it's working from near 21, uh, 21st century lows, 
it's going to have an advantage now because they've been underperforming the marketplace. But this would require mortgage rates to fall down and fall down with duration. It is so interesting because we now, you know, always new home sales are a small part of the market just because, I mean, there's so many more existing homes, right? I mean, as soon as it's built and, and bought, it becomes an existing home. But this year, because we have so little inventory in the overall market, now the new homes are are such a big part. What is it, 30%? Well, just to give, just to give uh, people uh, uh, some perspective here, uh, last new home sales report, Roughly around, let's say, six hundred seventy-five thousand, give or take. You know the uh, uh, revisions that you're going to get, and the existing home sales market is running near four million. Near four million after 1996 is historically low. If you adjust it to populations, really, it's like almost all-time lows in existing home sales. Where in the previous few years, we we're at five and a half to six, six and a half million. Uh, uh, so we have a unbelievable collapse in demand in the, uh, existing home sales market where the new home sales market fell, it's stabilized and now it's moving up. Uh, and just because it's moving up and existing home sales are 21st century lows, basically, uh, it has become a higher percentage than what it normally is. And in the previous expansion, it was the weakest new home sales cycle ever. I mean, missed sales estimates in 2013, 14, 15, and even in 2018, there was a, a minor supply shock. And a, a lot of that is there was a lot more cheaper homes on the market than what the builders were offering. And uh, uh, I think people forget that in 2007, uh, if you take the NAR data, we had 4 million active listings. Today, Sarah, even after the biggest home sale crash ever recorded in history, we have 1.1 million. Um, these are two different dynamic marketplaces, and because of that, the builders, you know, have an advantage here because their competition doesn't have a lot of homes. Their competition can't really cut rates or cut prices like they can, and they sell homes like a commodity. That's the thing I talked about on CNBC and Squat Squat on the Street. Builders sell their homes as a commodity. An existing home seller is stingy and has other variables, like you know, they need to sell at a certain price. They have to find another homes. There's all these things that come in where a builder is like, get it out, no emotions, anything, just sell it and move on to the next one. Uh, and in this environment, they're, they're doing the best they can. But you know, uh, after sales increasing and they're using a lot of their uh, excess profit margins to, to move product, the next year, if mortgage rates fall, right, uh, the existing home sales, because it's underperformed, versus the new home sales market uh, would have an advantage in that regard just because sales are low. Uh, and, and the builders, you know, uh, with lower rates, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of buyers go, oh, okay, you know, the existing home sales is always kind of cheaper on an apples to apples basis. And uh, it, it could be a disadvantage for the builders next year. If that, if that occurs, this is just a hypothetical right now that the mortgage rates go lower and, and lower with duration. And all these existing homes, that uh, whatever is available, um, you know, are we going to have other bidding wars again and something like that nature? But I think the the, the builders have done as as efficient as you possibly can in, in the, for their current situations, and they've milked it uh, as well as you can, uh, considering that we're almost in October and we're almost back to having the completed sales back to what we uh, saw uh, uh, before COVID. 
roughly a little bit above uh, 80,000. We're at 76,000. So there's, I, I give them so much kudos. They, they've always had a disadvantage against the existing home sales market, but now they've got the advantage and they're using it. Well, it also seems like the kind of people who can afford to buy a new home, right? Because you are always saying new homes are typically more expensive than existing homes. They've got all the bells, bells and whistles. And so maybe also in this market, the people who, you know, uh, they're going to get their rate bought down, you know, the, the builder's going to give them um, some incentives on the rate anyway, but it's maybe just a different kind of buyer that can afford new homes right now. You know, Traditionally, the new home sales market is a wealthier, older buyer that makes more money. Um, but we're seeing some uptick in uh, for some of the builders with a uh, uh, first-time home buyers because I mean, millennials are massive, right? So you know, uh, people need to buy homes, and you can understand if the if the prices are relatively somewhat close, but they're offering a lower rate. It's a new home, you know. You don't have anything to do with it, you know. If you qualify, you know, you can, you can easily see and. One of the things that, you know, not a lot of people talk about this, but I call it the peel off effect. You know, it's, uh, I'll give you a good example here in, in Southern California. Uh, I see a builder advertising uh, on social media and they say, Hey, listen, our, these homes are coming onto the market uh, in about two months, but come on over, you know, uh, well, it's below 6% mortgage rates all day here, you know, so they, they have a process of getting these homes finished and they don't like to keep them on the books when they're done, right? This is why they're 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 cutting deals once these homes are ready because you know the last thing the builders want is that the completed units to build up because then everyone asks for uh, um kind of a a lower price or or lower mortgage rate. So they're 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 saying, "Hey, listen, come on here and if you're an existing home buyer and you're looking at everything and you're you're not liking what you're seeing you see this whoa beautiful new house all the bells and whistles everything you don't have to put money into it or fix it up or anything yeah you could peel off some buyers uh from the existing home sales market and that's where i give them kudos for we don't hear other people talking about that but that's one of the things that i thought that the builders were efficient to to tap into the existing homes market buyer and basically you know, give them that nice piece of cheese. Come on over. Listen, this is much more delicious than anything you're you're eating right now. Come on over. It's all yours. And and uh, uh, so far, it's worked for them. You know, I I, I know the recent new home sales uh, came in as a miss, but the previous three months were positive revisions. That that slow uptrend is still intact, and we're going to have growth in sales this year. So uh, it, it could have been a lot worse, but the the backdrop was was set for them to to make some deals because they had. Uh, an extra a, a dose of uh, uh, profit margins to use from. And we weren't working from super high demand like we were in 2005. Well, you know, I've spent the last, I don't know, what is it, five years in new developments, right? So uh, in basically what were former cow pastures uh, in these different areas I've lived in. And so, you know, I'm definitely familiar with the new builds. And then, of course, last year when I, or uh, starting at the end of last year when I was trying to sell a house, Competing against the builders in that in that new build community, it was rough. So totally understand this. One of the things I think that you do that's really helpful is you look at um, what the builder's stock is, like what the new home stock is, and you break it down into like things that aren't even started yet, houses that aren't even started, 
houses that are started but not completed, and then actually completed units for sale. And that's where you come up with that 76,000 completed units, correct? Yeah, you know, you know, it's yeah, you know, it's interesting. I and part of it is is that I I kind of almost blame myself. I just naturally assumed people read the new home sales report for many years, and they they would actually know the difference on you know what 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 it is. And what what I found out last year is that everybody kept on doing the there's more homes under construction than ever and single family homes. And I was like, wow, nobody's read. It's interesting, you know, because. You know, a good example is that uh, like 1.9 months of supply is 106,000 homes that haven't even broken dirt yet. And that's that's very abnormally high because it's like all-time highs for that. And uh, there's 254,000, I think, for uh, under construction. That's abnormally high as well. So the builders have this backlog, but they're slowly just working in it, right? They're just working to the point to where they think they can sell. And you know, part of the builder's confidence data falling to me uh, shows that, you know, future permit growth is going to be limited, especially in the multifamily construction. That's, I think that that story is, is over in terms of its growth rate. But for for single family homes, where the that's where the bread and butter is, a little bit more mindful now. So um, I'm not looking for that 106,000 to be uh, uh, built very quickly. And uh, with supply chains better and, and, and some some costs go, going lower for the builders, it's never that big of a deal. But, you know, th- things move around. They have a better idea of what, what they can do. But again, lower rates change everything for housing. Uh, everybody's dealing with this very high interest rate environment. And uh, I think the builders are just more efficient. They're, they're bred to make deals to move products where the existing home seller it's there's just too many other variables and human emotion and you know money involved that you know they can't be as efficient as the builders i think one of the things that's really discouraging i mean what what we wish was different is that there actually was more inventory coming online with the builders because we have stable demand and i think there's even some pent up demand right we've talked about sarah that. it's never going to happen <laughs> sarah <laughs> i'm telling you these people are here these people are here to make money. Right. You remember that article we wrote in 2021 uh, where I said, don't expect the builders to ever like, you know, uh, uh, um, overbuild to uh, 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 fill in the void from the existing. That it, w- it would go against their profit margin models. And no, uh, uh, they, are, they are efficient. They're here to make money. They're not here to fix the... Uh, supply argument, and that's you know, I, and I say this, and I'm and I'm not joking when I say this. During during the previous expansion, I know I, know, I don't know how many Housing Wire readers or followers uh, remember my work back then. Back then, I said, "Listen, we're going to have the weakest new home sales cycle ever. Doesn't matter. We're not going to have 1.5 million housing starts until years 2020 to 2040. It is not going to happen. They are not going to be able to uh, uh, meet the demand needed for that kind of growth, uh, and it." We didn't get 1.5 million housing stars until years 2020 to 2024. So they need sales to grow to make it work for them. And if sales fall, hey, they're just going to backtrack, right? Because uh, uh, they don't put the product out there that needs major cuts in prices and major uh, uh, rate buy downs and their profit margins go down. So it's slow and steady wins the race, right? I used to compare the builders last decade to my tortoise Grundy, you know, who takes like, you know, 
an hour to go from one part of the house to another. And that's what the builders were doing. Slow and steady wins the race. And uh, that's why in those articles, I like to do those monthly supply models to just kind of give people an idea when the builders feel good. And, 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 you know, things have changed for them in the sense that uh, their confidence has been down for three months. Housing starts are down. There's a multifamily concern right now. Construction loans are expensive. There's all those apartments that are that that haven't finished or started yet and i don't think they're going to get them done just because the the numbers don't make sense and uh, uh it's just it's just a it's just such a such just two different marketplaces right now and you we see it where existing home sales is just stuck really around four million um this podcast is, uh, you know, when, when when people read this, the purchase application data is down two percent week to week. We're just basically stuck here because rates are too high. But the builders are saying, "Hey, listen, we're going to try to make as much money as we can, and if rates go lower, that'll be good." But again, rates go lower; those existing homes that are usually cheaper, you can get more buyers into that marketplace. So, you know, you're talking about their fortunes have changed, and and we really see it. So, in the spring and in June. We were writing, you were writing articles that were like, why are the home builders so happy? And, you know, why are home builders celebrating right now? And, you know, that's changed that it's turned. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the, the, the uptrend in sales is still intact. I think just when rates go up higher, you know, they're forward looking uh, data lines and you know us, so all we do is we want to talk about forward looking. Oh, by the way, Sarah Willer, I just want to say that uh, Case Shiller home price index hit an all time high. And I just want to say hello to all my housing price crash friends. Bless your hearts, especially the ones that said, you know, it might be 10 years until the case shiller index ever hits an all time high. And I said, do not go there. Don't go there. Wait until you actually have a negative full year before you do peak to trough because FHFA, Zillow, Fannie, Freddie, case shiller now all time highs. And why? Because we believe in forward-looking economic models, and when demand stabilizes in a low inventory environment, the 2008 stuff goes away. Sorry, I just had to say that just because you know it was. I try to keep quiet. You know on, what? You I, I try to keep it. quiet on Twitter, and I just, just you know, I, I thought I'd just save it for now um, because I know there's a lot of Logan, there, no, no, there's no. a there's a lot of angry, angry old men who listen to this podcast, and oh, bless all your hearts. The collapse of the United States of America that you dream about every single night is not here. This is our country. This is the United States of America. Come on. Don't bring that weak, alte, garbage, Russian stuff in this country. Uh, I have to take exception with your like, you know, I try to be quiet on Twitter. I'm not sure that I'm not sure you can say that with a straight No, I, I I was. I you know, Case Schiller became all times high. I didn't I didn't do anything. I didn't tag. All I did is listen, hey, listen, my job is to educate and we always show that podcast that we did a few months ago in June trying to teach people how to read uh, housing data. I didn't go after anyone. Didn't say I just said, "Hey, listen, we're here." And we just said after November 9th, things change. And when the forward-looking data goes negative, we'll go negative with it. But if it goes positive, and you know, that's on CNBC, you know, we that's the the highlighted charts that I showed them. You know, I think David Faber asked a really good question. You know, why are home price percentage cuts lower this year than last year? Rates are higher. That's a good question. I said, well, demand stabilized, right? Last year we went from six and a half million to four million. I mean, think about I still think today people do not appreciate. That was the biggest home sale collapse ever. And it wasn't like COVID. COVID, we understand why. Nobody did anything for about six, seven weeks. But here, we had an authentic collapse. I mean, it took to the 
peak in 2005 all the way to 2008. It took years to get to that level. Here we did it in 12 months and it stopped collapsing. And I think so much of what we're dealing with the existing home sales market, so much of why home prices went back to all-time highs is home sales haven't still broken underneath that 4 million. And even when it does, because it looks like it will, the velocity of data is less, right? Uh, So many people just are waiting for this, something to blow up. And the growth rate of inventory, the growth rate of inventory is so slow that I I have not gotten my wish of 11 to 17,000 active inventory growth one time. And, and, And that was based on rates get above 7%. And even with that, still haven't been able to get it. So I got that wrong. Um, inventory is picking up more, especially toward the end of this year where the seasonality is, is supposed to slow down. But but the, the whole dynamics of housing has changed. And I think this is where all of us as data analysts have to train people and get people to like, you know, if the market is slowed down and that stuff, let show people what that looks like on the data lines. And those charts that I showed on CNBC, the new listings data chart, the active listings data chart, the percentage cuts. And then I said, listen, last year was very abnormal, right? 2022, we have to put an asterisk on that. Try not to compare things to that. And now when you look at it, you know, things, the inventory is growing slower, the price cuts percentages are lower, uh, home sales uh, aren't crashing, they're heading down for months now, but they're not crashing. These, the, This is why these weekly uh, data lines are key to give us an idea of going out in the future. And literally when mortgage rates got above 7%, we saw the cool down in demand. Uh, and if rates stay higher for longer, that's how you get inventory growth in this country. That's been the case after 2010, higher rates weakness in demand duration, but you do need that weakness in demand to pick up. And uh, last year, we just saw rates had three months of a positive move lower, changed the entire dynamics of housing. And that was just getting to 5.99%. That wasn't even 5% mortgage rate. So uh, very, very, very historical, you know, 12 to 15 month period. I mean, the craziest that I've that I've been able to track it much more crazier than COVID. COVID, like I've always talked about, it, was relatively easy because you're working from a very low bar. Rates were low. We're often going here. You're you're dealing with a marketplace with seven and a half percent mortgage rates, right? Uh, 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 this is new for all of us. Uh, it's been it's been a while since we we've had a market like that, and uh, uh, we take it one week at a time. And I think that's the benefit of uh, tracking forward looking data. I agree with you. You know, you talked about acceleration, velocity, and those are two of the things that have characterized this housing market for the last couple of years. Just the rate of change in interest rates, what that means for for all the other things. And so I do want to talk about rates here for a minute because um, on the tracker this week, we you highlighted the fact that we were getting close to the all-time highs in rates for this year. And then we actually surpassed it intraday, I guess, on, was it Monday or Tuesday? It, it, it was Tuesday and it was uh, 7.51%. Uh, and, you know, it's it's one of these things where the Fed presser meeting and then jobless claims getting good. I mean, good. I mean, I mean, I, I, it, it's, it's weird for me to say this, but my God, we are absolutely almost on the verge of breaking under 200,000 on the headline jobless claims data, right? That's, that's, you know, the whole, my whole year, the whole 10 year yield is based on jobless claims and jobless claims are getting good. Great. I love it. Go USA. Uh, but if you are, uh, in the real estate industry, that the cross effect of that is the 10 year yield going up. 
Um, so I, I, you know, in, in regards to the Federal Reserve, uh, I know Neil Kashkari came out uh, and talked about, you know, I it's a 40 percent. A chance for a soft landing and a sixty percent chance for, or no, sixty sixty percent chance for a soft landing and a forty percent chance for a hard landing. Let me explain one thing to everyone: if I ever give you anything that says forty percent, every single one of you people block me, block me, bury me, do whatever, but do not allow me to live if I ever use the term forty percent on that. Um, he was talking about, I believe, one more rate hike, and if rates. You know, if the consumer gets better and we need to hike more rates, lie or longer. Okay, so a lot of this is jawboning, of course. Um, the bond market looks very itchy finger right now. Uh, short to two-year yields, 10-year yields, you know, there's uh, – we've had some weird trading days. But I, 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 I believe the Fed – and I talked about this on CNBC, which some people – Uh, took exception on, I said, the Fed really, really wants to target the construction employment because they are not having good luck hitting the service workers. Uh, And higher bond yields, you know, hitting housing market, the apartment boom is, you know, coming to an end, you know, deep, deep down inside, they might not admit it. But if you wanted to grow the labor supply, like they've told us, they've told us we want to attack the labor supply. Uh, that is one way to do it on the long end because there's there's only so much you can do with short-term rates. And uh, instead of talking about, hey, listen, we're done. We'll help the economy when it needs it. They're like, hey, higher, maybe this, maybe that. You know, we'll go slower. But, you know, they allowed that yields to go up higher on them. And the, the, again, I, I, I'm just staying consistent. They want to break the labor market. Okay, they can tell you about, you know, well, we're soft landing. We, we, but listen... These are Federal Reserve. Most of them are baby boomers. And using their own old models, the way you defeat inflation is unemployment rates. And uh, uh, they're not pushing back on these long-end yields going up higher, which means to me that there's no rate hikes coming at all. Bond yields going up tightens the uh, marketplace for them. So there should not be any discussion of any more rate hikes, especially with yields this high. Uh, so uh, it, it'll be an interesting uh, last few months of the year to see see how this plays out. But uh, the market is tightening the credit, the, the the economy for them on the long end now. And I think secretly inside, they're like, OK, yes, this is what we wanted, because they, they even though the the Fed is happy that job openings data is falling and everything, they've even talked about this there. They were there. They were Sarah. They were really happy that job openings data is falling and the job growth is falling and wage growth. So. But I think for me, I'm, I'm a job jobless claims person, and it's just that data line is too strong for them. Uh, and uh, this is why you, we haven't seen any real pushback from them uh, on long yields going up higher. Okay, briefly, because we're almost out of time, but briefly, why is it that we should never let you say 40%? What is it about 40%? Oh, you know, the, the running joke is all the the w- Wall Street people, they always say 40%, 40% chance, 40% chance. Of the, when you say 40%, you don't know what you're talking about, okay? It's like that one of those numbers that I kind of maybe, and no, not really, but if it happens, I was close. Just, it's like, it's so weak. It's like these people that say, I'm cautiously optimistic. What the hell does that mean? You know, that's just, that's garbage, right? That's just trying to cover both the ends of your, you know, come on. 
right? We don't do that. We create models and we give people forward tracking data. Don't give me this second inning, seven inning, nine, you know, we're in overtime or, you know, 40%. But the 40% is just the most annoying. It's just trying to like, or, you know, 60%, no, just kind of, listen, we, 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 we want to track a few things. You know, the interesting aspect is that Jay Powell said, well, you know, we, we might lose the economy for something that's not in our control. History says something breaks eventually. Uh, uh, and they're going, Hey, it's not our fault. Yeah. Yes. To a degree it is. So I I'm just, I'm just not a fan of innings cautiously optimistic and anyone using 40%, uh, uh, give people forward looking data lines. And then we, we work every single week to it because new variables could come in like this and change everything. And you don't want to be stuck to a percentage or a forecast without a moving things. That's, that's why we always talk about old and slow. Right, we don't want to be old and slow. We want to be fast, athletic, intelligent. Move, move, move. And when data comes like this, you go with it. Right? You don't go there and go. Well, we're going to meet in six weeks, and then we could talk about what happened five weeks ago. No, no, we got five seconds to go with that. Right? We don't want to wait six weeks. So I think that's that's the thing about someone like me, where we we are religiously tracking data all the time. Man, I am up till eleven thirty at night looking at bond yields and everything and commodity prices and everything. And I just think that if, if you, if you live in a thing, if you live in a situation where you're trying to move that tugboat and it just, it's very slow and take, you don't have to do that anymore. Right. Right. Information is so out there and valid and you just go with it. And uh, I just, the 40% thing just bugged me. It's like the cautiously optimistic thing bugged me. It's like, we're in the sixth inning. I just bugs me. Just like, come on. You know, you should give your models, let people track it, go with it. Because if something changes, like what happened on November 9th, you got to go with it. Because now we're sitting here, K-Shiller Index was the last index to hit an all-time high. Something happened, you have to show people why, right? It's not the final answer. It's why. That's the most important thing. Why do we get here? How do we have this happen? And then put all the variables in together. I'm like a Dr. Frankenstein now. What happened? I used to be a, like the jock. <laughs> Well, also, I was like, "Hey, can you can you just briefly?" And you're like, "No, I just I yeah." Know, three minutes can, later, you're can you briefly, Sarah Wheeler? Can you briefly, man? <laughs> uh, what am I even saying? What am I even asking? Logan, thank you so much for joining me on uh, at midnight to do this podcast before you go traveling. A reminder to our listeners to come and listen to you in person um, at Housing Mart Annual, October 10th through 12th. You're going to kick it off. We're going to wrap it up with a live podcast. People should go and register before all of the rooms in the, in the hotel are filled. We are filling up so fast and it's uh, close to being sold out. So don't miss the opportunity. We would love to see you. And Logan, thank you again. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.